The Maui Invitational Brackets are out, and the Zags have a rematch against Zach Eady and the Purdue Boilermakers for this upcoming season. Can Mark View's team get revenge after last year's disastrous 18-point loss? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Rasir Bolton has signed a new contract overseas. We're going to discuss that as well as what we expect Nolan Hickman's role to look like next season. Some more conversation on that. But first, we got to talk about the Maui Invitational Brackets, which have been revealed. John Rothstein at College Hoops Today has reported this. A handful of other people have reported this as well. The actual matchups are set for the Maui Invitational in November in Hawaii. Gonzaga, of course, has won this tournament twice in 2009 and in 2018. The epic game over Duke and the Zion Williamson-led team. Really fantastic game there. And now we know the Zags, they got themselves a tough matchup. For a reference for who is in the Maui Invitational, for those of you who need the full eight-team bracket, Kansas and Chaminade are squaring off on the other side of the bracket alongside Marquette and UCLA. For Gonzaga's side, Gonzaga will face Purdue, Zach Eady, Matt Painter, an entire returning starting five from a team that was a number one overall seed last year. Of course, we know what happened after that, but still a very talented team. And then the other game in that side of their region would be Tennessee versus Syracuse. So Gonzaga will get Purdue and either Tennessee or Syracuse guaranteed. They will play two out of those three teams, depending on how the rest of the bracket shakes out. They will hopefully get a chance to play somebody like Kansas or UCLA or Marquette. Really any of those would be a premier opponent for Gonzaga. So we talked about their schedule in a recent episode. For those of you who listened to that, you heard our, our insight into UConn and Kentucky and some of the other games that are already on the calendar. But now we're looking at Purdue Tennessee, Kansas is a real possibility if Gonzaga wins. If they struggle or if somebody else wins, obviously there's a lot of different factors, but likely Gonzaga is going to play some some combination of Purdue, either Tennessee and Syracuse, or one of the premier programs on the other side. Worst case, I guess, is UCLA, depending on, on uh, what the, the Ken Palm rankings and everything look like in, in the third week of November. But right now, Gonzaga is considered a top 15-ish team. Purdue's considered a top five team by most places. Tennessee's right around the top 10. Marquette's often in the top five at the very least in that top 10 conversation. They return basically everybody from a really, really good team last year. UCLA is a little bit farther down. They lost a ton of talent. They bring back Adembona, who was a really big piece for them last year, but they lose Jaime Jaquez, they lose Tiger Campbell, they lose Jalen Clark, they lose Amari Bailey. They brought in some guys to replace them, but I think UCLA is a a bit more of a question mark coming into next season. So Gonzaga's got a good chance to play a lot of marquee games in this tournament. It's Maui. It always is a lot of marquee games. It's not like we're surprised by this, but the main story here is a rematch between Mark Few, Matt Painter, Gonzaga Purdue. And of course, we'd love it if it was a rematch between Drew Timmy and Zach Eady, but it is not. Drew Timmy has moved on. He is in the professional ranks, got his opportunities with the Milwaukee Bucks, still waiting to find an actual official contract going into the NBA. But Zach Eady 
opted to return to school, coming back after winning National Player of the Year, something we're seeing more often in modern college basketball. Oscar Sheboy did it. Now Zach Eady has done it. And there are obvious reasons for that. We've discussed them a handful of times on the show, but the the way that the modern NBA values back to the basket, low post scoring bigs versus the way that college basketball values those same players combined with the fact that you can make money in college basketball has led to an influx of those players sticking around the way that Drew Timmy did for four years, the way that Oscar Shibway did, the way that Zach Eady is doing, the way that Hunter Dickinson did instead of going to the NBA, deciding to transfer to Kansas. This is going to continue to happen as long as the rules stay the way that they are, as long as the modern NBA continues to value floor spacing and outside shooting over low post scoring. But what this means for Gonzaga is that they got themselves a really tough defensive assignment early in the season. Zach Eady is an absolute load. Last time these two teams played, if you need a reminder of the score, cover your ears if you don't want to hear it. I wouldn't want to hear it if I were you. 84 to 66 was the final score when these two teams played each other in the Phil Knight 85th Invitational this past year in Portland, Oregon. Uh, It was a, a 51-38 in the second half. Gonzaga just really didn't bring it in the second half of this game at all. Uh, Purdue returns everybody. We talk about Zach Eady coming back. That's obviously the big matchup, and we'll talk about what that means for Gonzaga. But they also return Fletcher Lawyer. They return Braden Smith. They return Mason Gillis. Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith were two freshman guards last year, and that is kind of what did them in towards the end of the year. I don't think you can blame those two guys specifically for losing to Fairleigh Dickinson. It wasn't entirely their fault. A confluence of factors have to come together to lose a game like that, including Fairleigh Dickinson playing a really, really good basketball game. But youth and inexperience in your backcourt tends to hamper teams in March. Continuity also helps in March. We know that having players who've played together for a long time, who are more familiar with each other, helps you win close basketball games. Purdue now has that. They're still a relatively young team in the sense that Lawyer and Smith are, are only sophomores. I think Gillis is a junior. He might be a senior, actually. But regardless, this is a team that now has continuity, that now has experience. They don't have a ton of NCAA tournament experience, but they do have it at least. There's also the the kind of the secondary factor here is that teams have now really seen the blueprint of how to beat Purdue. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Purdue brings everybody back, but they're bringing everybody back from a team that people have now seen how to beat. So they have to prove that they can do something differently. That they can adjust to the way teams are going to guard him because teams are going to do what Fairleigh Dickinson did. They're going to swarm Zach Eady. They're going to force him to get rid of the basketball. They're going to make other players beat him. Somebody else has to do that. For Gonzaga, Zach Eady is a really tough matchup. I should clarify that statement. For everybody in college basketball, Zach Eady is a really tough matchup. Even the best low post defenders in the country are going to struggle with Zach Eady. Creighton and Ryan Cockburn are going to have a hard time with Zach Eady should they face each other. Going down the list, anybody else, any of these other elite rim protectors, West Virginia, Jesse Edwards, you know, former Syracuse player, they're going to have a hard time. Everybody's going to have a hard time with Zach Eady. But this Gonzaga roster does not have rim protection. It is something I have talked about many, many, many times on this podcast. It was something we talked about going into last season. It's something we've talked about from the day Chet Holmgren announced he was leaving Gonzaga. They don't have rim protection on the roster. Their starting center next year is Graham Ike. He is 6'9". Anton Watson is 6'8", 6'9". Ben Gregg is 6'9"-ish. Caden Perry, if he's the fourth big, about 6'9". More of a rim protector than anybody else based on his 
high school recruiting tape, but we haven't seen him do that at the division one level. Not his fault. He has been hurt. Braden Huff, not considered a rim protector. So this is going to be a really hard matchup for Gonzaga. They're going to have to swarm him. They're going to have to double team him. They're going to have to prevent him from getting the ball. And they're going to have to force Purdue's guards to beat them from the perimeter. If they're capable of doing that, this is going to be a hard, hard game for Gonzaga. I'm excited about it. It's going to be a fun one. It's a great opportunity for the Zags to exact some revenge on a team that beat the tar out of them last year, something that does not happen to Gonzaga very often. I'm glad this is the matchup we get. I'm glad that whatever happens after this, we get either Tennessee, who I think is going to be a top 10 team, a really talented squad for Rick Barnes, or we get Syracuse, which they'll admittedly not be as good. That's not a great non-conference game for Gonzaga necessarily, but there's a lot of history between Gonzaga and Syracuse getting a chance to play the Orange in the first year after Jim Beheim's retirement is kind of a fun opportunity as well. So either way, I think we're going to get two really fun games out of Maui. But I'll admit that Purdue is not the easiest draw by any stretch of the imagination for Gonzaga. But it should be a fun game. And like we said, an opportunity for the Zags to get some much needed revenge against the Boilermakers. Well, Nolan Hickman, he had 15 points in that game against Purdue last year. But we want to take a look at what his role is going to look like heading into year three. We're going to deep dive into that after a word from today's sponsor, eBay Motors. For a championship team, it is all about making sure that every single player is a perfect fit. And it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, and exclusions do apply. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked on Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to those everyday listeners checking us out on YouTube very much. Appreciate it. We got some conversation about recruiting coming up later this week. We'll talk about Asa Newell taking a visit to Spokane. We'll talk about Philip Petrusev's new job. We'll talk about conference realignment and what that is, what the update is right there. All that coming later this week on Locked on Zags. But for right now, folks, we're switching over to talk about Nolan Hickman. I'm not going to read the entire question. I did get a mailbag question submitted this week from uh, user John on Gmail, and it was about Nolan Hickman, some concerns about his role and and what that's going to look like. And I've been kind of planning to have a deeper conversation. Of course, for those of you who have been listening regularly, you know that we will do season preview episodes for every single player on Gonzaga's roster as we get into October. That's still a few months away, but we are going to have a similar conversation when we do a full deep dive preview of what we expect Nolan Hickman's season to look like. But for right now, Hickman heads into year three without a super defined role. Freshman year, he was the backup point guard. Backup point guard to Andrew Nempard. Played 15, 17 minutes per game. Some of them off the ball. Most of them backing up Nemhard. Of course, Nemhard played 32, 35, 38, 40 minutes a game at times during that season. So sometimes Hickman's, all of his minutes came off the ball. Sometimes only some of his minutes came off the ball. It kind of just depended, but he did both. There's no debate that Nolan Hickman has played both on and off the ball, especially as a freshman at Gonzaga. As a sophomore, Hickman stepped into a starting role. He started 36 
out of 37 games for the Zags, the only game he did not start was senior night so that Malachi Smith would get a chance to start. Hickman played 28 minutes per night on the dot. 36 starts, 28 minutes per game, most of them coming as the true point guard. Gonzaga made some adjustments as the season went on. We saw Hunter Salas kind of step more into an actual point guard role when he was on the floor. Hunter didn't play as many minutes as Hickman, so they were still kind of splitting time. But there were moments where Hickman was on the floor playing off the ball. But it was more rare last year. Primarily, when Nolan Hickman was on the floor last season, he was the primary ball handler. He averaged 7.7 points per game, 3.1 assists, 2.4 boards, and one steal per night. Shot just under 49% on two-pointers, which is a far decline from the about 60% that he shot on two-pointers as a freshman. Of course, there was a much bigger sample size in his second season. He did bump his three-point percentage up to just over 35%. Hickman was a very solid three-point shooter for the Zags last year. He was a little overshadowed by Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith and Julian Strother, who were all better three-point shooters than him. Even Ben Gregg had a better percentage than Nolan Hickman. But Hickman at times was a very, very dead-eye valuable three-point shooter. And I'm not sure uh, there were some fair criticisms of Nolan Hickman last year. And we're going to get into some of those. But I think him, he maybe didn't get enough credit for being a good outside shooter. And he was a bit streaky. And that's something that he does need to work on. And in fact, the streakiness was the biggest issue for Nolan Hickman. Two years in a row, as a freshman where he was admittedly not expected to be a huge contributor. And then last year where he was, Nolan Hickman completely fell apart at the end of the season. Freshman year, he fell apart for kind of the second half of the year. And you sort of expect this from freshmen. You don't love it. You don't want to see it. Certainly, you know, some of the more premier freshmen don't necessarily struggle in the second half of their first season, but a lot of guys do. It is a much longer season, it is a more grueling season, a more challenging season, more travel, dealing with your first year in college. The second semester of every college student's freshman year is hard. It's, it's the longest you've been away from home, and it's just a challenge. And then to do that while traveling a bunch, it's difficult. And you see a lot of freshmen fade down the stretch. It's not uncommon. But for Hickman, he had some good games towards the end of the season last year. He had a good game against Chicago State, but it's Chicago State. He had a great game against St. Mary's in the WCC championship. That should not go forgotten. Nolan Hickman was incredible in that absolute beatdown that Gonzaga gave St. Mary's in the WCC championship. One of my favorite games I've ever attended live, a rubber match between those two teams after they each got each other in the regular season and Gonzaga came out and blew the doors right off the gales and Nolan Hickman was a big part of it. But the reason we forget about that performance is because when the Zags really needed him in the NCAA tournament, he was a non-factor. Six points against Grand Canyon, fine. Two points against TCU on one of five shooting. And then 0 of 9 shooting combined against UCLA and UConn did not score a single point. No free throws, nothing. Eight total points in four NCAA tournament games, six of them coming in the first round game against a 14th seed in Grand Canyon. This is a problem, and it needs to change. And I think... We know for a fact that one thing is going to change significantly for Nolan Hickman next season. He's not going to be the point guard. It's as simple as that. The Zags brought in one of the best pure point guards in all of college basketball in Ryan Nembhard. 35 minutes per game at Creighton. He is a point guard. There is no debate about it. Unquestionably, that is his role. He will be the primary ball handler. He will run the pick and roll specials. He will initiate and guide and facilitate the offense for probably 32 to 35 minutes per game. This means that Nolan Hickman is going to shift back to being more of an off-ball guard. 
it's an interesting dynamic for Hickman because he kind of, I think he, he knew he was going to be an off ball player as a freshman playing behind a Nemhard in Andrew. And I think the, the plan, my guess, based on how the, the staff has, has treated Hickman and what we know about him is that the plan was always to transition him back to a more of an on ball role after, you know, he comes in, he gets his feet wet in college. He plays on the ball a little bit when Andrew's on the bench or in foul trouble or, or in garbage time or whatever. And then as a sophomore, you step into that role completely and you take over as the primary ball handler. I don't think the expectation was to continue to pinball him back and forth, but I think that his performance as the Gonzaga starting point guard wasn't what Gonzaga needed. They wanted more. And I have been somebody who has been less critical of Nolan Hickman than I think the masses but one of my biggest criticisms of Hickman is that while his numbers are not, they don't jump out as negatively as people might think they are. 3.1 assists to 1.3 turnovers is a pretty darn good ratio. He didn't have significant turnover issues. He had decent assist numbers. He shot adequately from three. The problem is Nolan Hickman didn't really make a lot happen. And it's kind of a chicken and the egg argument with Gonzaga last year was the the reason that Drew Timmy got the ball just basically as soon as Gonzaga got across half court, was that a product of the guards being unable to get him the ball? Or was it a product of this is what they're doing? Like, you know, did it kind of flip the other way? It's like, we're getting the ball to Drew Timmy regardless. So the guards just never really developed those skills. You know what I mean? Like it kind of felt, it was hard to tell. You know, we saw early, early games last year, Texas in particular, where they just blitzed the guards and forced them to get rid of the basketball as soon as possible. And then from that point forward, Drew Timmy just kind of, became the de facto point forward at times and just they got the ball in his hands and let him go to work wherever he was whenever it was in the shot clock they didn't really run a lot of motion offense they didn't run a lot of set plays they didn't do a lot of high ball screens side to side ball screen actions all that stuff that we've seen from Gonzaga it didn't uh, they didn't abandon it last year but it was there a lot less and I think part of that was just not feeling as confident in the ball handlers on the roster including Hickman and so while I think that he is a, a better basketball player than I think some people may give him credit for, and certainly a player deserving of playing a legitimate role for Gonzaga. I am not surprised to see a potential transition for him being more of an off-ball role. It's not great for Hickman's professional aspirations, if we're being honest. We talked about it, or we're going to talk about it more with Rasir Bolton in the final segment. Undersized guards who don't play the point guard position are a dime a dozen. They're a very easy commodity to find in the NBA. That's why Rasir Bolton didn't get much of a look. He didn't even play in summer league. Again, we'll talk about that. For Hickman, his his NBA aspirations, his professional aspirations kind of rely on him being a point guard. He got the opportunity last year. And maybe if he'd done even better, this still might've happened. I'm not saying Gonzaga would have said no thank you to Ryan Nembhard if Nolan Hickman had had a truly amazing season last year. They may have still said, yes, come on in, buddy. Like We're happy to have you. But I think it was made, made more prevalent by the fact that eh, Hickman looked more like a, a kind of a combo guard that we were masking as a point guard last year to the point where they just started letting Hunter Salas do it, who also wasn't really a point guard, but was more willing to make things happen, drive to the basket. He turned the ball over more, but he was more active. Hickman wasn't all that active. And I think you look at Gonzaga the rest of their offseason, and they pursued Paul Mulcahy out of records. Paul Mulcahy averaged five assists per game last year. That is a point guard. They were looking at a true point guard in the transfer portal. Now, Mulcahy is about 6'7", so they were probably going to play him off the ball. He wasn't going to supplant Ryan Nembhard, but certainly bringing in a player like that kind of shows you that they may have been, been engaging in 
trying to find more ball handlers on the roster with the assumption that Hickman is not going to play that role. I still expect Nolan Hickman to start. I expect Nolan Hickman to start at the shooting guard position. I expect him to play a similar amount of minutes this year as he did last year, which is about 28, 27 minutes per game. I think it's possible that if Jun Sok Yo is fully ready to just take over this team, be a 25, 30 minute per game guy, high level scorer at the three, I think it's possible that Steele Venters then slides down to the starting two and that Hickman comes off the bench. I would be remiss if I didn't say it was possible. It's not ironclad. It's not written in pen that Nolan Hickman is starting at the two for Gonzaga next year. It is just my prediction at this point. If Marcus Adams Jr. is ready to roll, if Jun Sok Yo is ready to go, if Gonzaga lands another player in the portal, if they'd landed Jose Perez, it is possible Perez would have started over Nolan Hickman. I think not. I think Perez would have come in as a sixth man, but I think it's possible. Right now, the other options available, Jeremiah Williams, Noah Williams, DeMar Langford, et cetera, none of those guys start over Nolan Hickman. Things could change. Another player could enter the transfer portal as a graduate student. Somebody who becomes available who immediately steps into that role could come to Gonzaga. This is all possible. In modern college basketball, rosters are never finalized. But my suspicion is that Nolan Hickman starts at the two next year. He plays 25 to 30 minutes per game. And hopefully we see a player get more comfortable in an off-ball role, improve his three-point shooting up to 38, 39, maybe even 40%, looks a little bit more comfortable on defense, and more importantly, is ready for the NCAA tournament, shows up when Gonzaga needs him to in March. Because if he's not there again in March, that's going to be a really big problem for Gonzaga. Well, Rasir Bolton, who played over Nolan Hickman a lot last year, played with Nolan Hickman a lot last year at least, signed his first professional contract overseas. He is, where is he headed? And what does it mean for him going forward? We're going to talk about all that coming up right after this. All right, folks, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags. Thank you all for checking out the show and making us your very first listen of the day. That is appreciated. we got more fun stuff coming later this week. We'll talk Asa Newell and recruiting, and we'll talk a handful of other topics as we get into the end of July and the start of August and kind of the slower months for college basketball news cycle. But right now we can talk about a former Gonzaga player signing his first professional contract overseas. I always love getting a chance to celebrate when guys sign their first contract no disrespect to when guys sign their second or third or fourth or fifth different contract. We've seen a handful of Zags who really bounce around a lot in the professional ranks. Josh Perkins, Admon Gilder, uh, Aaron Cook, handful of guys who I see Instagram updates from regularly about new teams that they're playing with. But it's always exciting when you sign your first. Rasir Bolton has been wanting to be a professional basketball player presumably his entire life. And now he is. He will play with Telenet Antwerp Giants. They are part of the BNXT League, which is a top-tier league in Europe. There are significant tiers in the European basketball. He's at the top. The teams in the BNTX League are in Belgium and the Netherlands. Uh, the Giants, the team that Bolton is playing for, is in Belgium. You could tell by the fact that he tweeted a waffle emoji when he announced where he was signing. Made it clear he's going to be in Belgium. And this team, the Antwerp Giants, play in the FIBA Basketball Champions League. For those of you who are soccer fans, for those of you who are Ted Lasso fans, you might be familiar with how this works. It's a little bit different in basketball and soccer. I'm not going to go into all the details, nor am I entirely familiar with all the details. But being on one of the 32 teams that participates in the Champions League is a good sign. Effectively, what we should take away from it as Zag fans is that Rasir Bolton is signing at one of the top levels that he is capable of signing at that's not the NBA. 
And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Where I am surprised and continue to be surprised is that Rasir Bolton didn't get a look in the summer league. I'm not surprised he didn't sign a contract. I'm not surprised he's not on a two-way deal or an Exhibit 10 contract. I'm not surprised he's in Europe. I'm really not. Because of what I said about Nolan Hickman in that second segment, undersized combo guards are, it's the most difficult position to make the NBA from because there's so many of them. There aren't as many seven-fit guys. There aren't as many really dynamic actual point guards who can facilitate an offense, you know, control the, control the offense, do all that. Those guys are harder to find. 6'4", 6'3", 6'5", shooting guards who are good shooters but maybe don't provide a ton else, they're kind of a dime a dozen. And Rasir Bolton didn't have enough standout skills to be a regular NBA contributor. That's my belief. But the fact that he didn't get a summer league deal, with no disrespect to like Frankie Ferrari out of San Francisco who played in the summer league, Colby Ross, who I think is extremely talented out of Pepperdine. He played in the summer league, handful of other guys in the WCC, handful of other, you know, Pac-12 guys who played in the summer league. And I'm like, Rasir Bolton's as good as those guys, better than some of those guys. Why is he not getting a look? And I don't know all the details. I don't know if he got offers. I don't know if he decided he was going to go play overseas regardless. I'm not sure. I don't know the situation. I'm not going to pretend to, but I was surprised when I looked at the summer league rosters and I had a list of players I expected there to see their names, and Bolton was not one of them. Regardless, he now gets an opportunity to go play overseas. Uh, you know, so many great Gonzaga guards have gone overseas and had success. Some of them have had, had enough success to come back to the NBA. Kevin Pangos, of course, has done that. Jeremy Pargo did that in the past. Philip Petrusev is not a guard, but he has done that in the past, although he did get drafted, so that helps with him. But Bolton does have the opportunity to come back if – the opportunity presents itself. It could happen for him. But right now, I think we just celebrate. Celebrate Rasir Bolton because Rasir Bolton was a great zag. I know there was frustration about how the end of his final season went and he was a little bit disjointed at the end of the year. Didn't contribute when Gonzaga really needed him to in those final couple of games against UCLA and UConn. But this is a player who started every game for two seasons in Spokane. He averaged 10 and a half points per game, two and a half assists and two rebounds. He shot 46% from three during that 2021-22 season. He shot 41% last year. It's crazy. It felt like he shot way worse last year than he did the year before that, but he still shot 41% from three. Really fantastic stuff from him. Beyond that, of course, Rasir Bolton's legacy in Spokane will forever be defined by his work at the charitable organization Giving Packs, giving packs Back. It's hard to say. Uh, organization started by uh, Rick, who's a former Gonzaga student. He was also a former homeless man. He started a company, I think it was Rick Clark is his full name, uh, started this company that gives backpacks to homeless people in Spokane. Rasir Bolton quickly got involved with Rick's charitable work, helped so many people in the Spokane community, ended up getting an award from Mayor Nadine Woodward uh, at a Gonzaga basketball game this last year. A highly impactful Gonzaga player for only having been here for two years. He made his mark in Spokane, not just on the court, but off the court as well. And I'm so excited for him to get a chance to play overseas. Rasir seems like somebody who is going to love the international experience, getting to play at a high-level program, compete for FIBA Basketball Champions League trophies, play in Belgium, a beautiful country, and really get to immerse himself in another culture. I think this is going to be, I think Rasir is going to love it based on what I know about him. I think he's going to kill it because he's a really good basketball player. And I think this is a really fun landing spot for him. 
Those of you who have listened to the show for a long time, you know that I like to do Zags in Europe updates. I haven't done one in a long time. I'm planning to kind of round a bunch of numbers up and kind of talk about how the seasons went for some of these EuroLeague guys uh, in future episodes, especially as we get into August and September and kind of the really slow doldrums of the college basketball offseason. We're going to take a look more at, at what some of these overseas Zags are doing. And we'll talk about Bolton in future episodes as well and kind of keep keep Zag fans updated on what he's up to, where he's playing, what he's doing, if he's got a chance of coming back to the association, all that good stuff. But for now, that is going to wrap us up here on the Locked On Zags podcast. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Got some recruiting and realignment conversations coming your way later this week right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Go hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, review on iTunes, whatever it may be. Follow on Twitter. You can see there on the YouTube video, all that good stuff. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, as always, go Zags.